God is good. Okay, we're going to go to Psalms chapter 123, verse 1. And we're going to call this sermon, Having a Mercy Mindset. And I'll explain in a minute what I mean by that. Psalms 123, verse 1. I lift up my eyes to you, <clears throat> to you whose throne is in heaven. As the eyes of the slaves look to the hand of their masters, and the eyes of a maid look to the hand of her mistress. <clears throat> so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Have mercy on us, for we have endured much contempt. Now I just want you to, want you to kind of think about those words for a minute. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on us, for we have endured much contempt. We've endured much ridicule from the proud, much contempt from the arrogant. Can I have that a bottle of water there, Pat? And, and just as a companion verse, that we're not going to get into this other verse, but let's look at Titus chapter 3, verse 5. He saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So today, I want to talk to you about the mercy mindset. It's key to understanding this, and the key verse is verse 3. Verse 3 says... Have mercy on us, O Lord. Have mercy on us. Then look at the next line. For we have endured much contempt. I find that really interesting that he says, Have mercy on us, O Lord. Have mercy on us, for we have endured much contempt. Now, as we said in the beginning of the series, these 15 Psalms from Psalms 120 to 134, these 15 Psalms, are the psalms that they would sing and meditate on as they went to Jerusalem to worship. And they would do this three times a year. So this is what they were thinking about. They were thinking about their lives, and they were thinking about God, and they were praying. And they were praying and singing this psalm, Have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy on us, for we have endured much contempt. I bet if you think about it for a minute, I bet you don't put those sentences together like that in your life when you pray. I mean, you, you probably don't. You remember years ago, uh, some of you remember, uh, the old, old people like me remember, uh, Mac Davis wrote a song, sang a song, made a big hit of a song called, Lord, It's Hard to Be Humble. Remember that, some of you? Have you remember? Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't stand to look in the mirror for I get better looking each day. And... Uh, to know me is to love me, and I, I can't say the next line in church. <laughs> well, it's hard to be humble when you're, when you're perfect. It's hard to be humble when you're on top. It's hard to be humble when you're in charge. It's hard to be humble when, you're, when things are going great for you, and you're feeling your egos in bloom. But you know, it's really hard to be humble when you're being treated with contempt. It's really hard to be humble when life is not treating you well. It's really hard to be humble when you're not experiencing the blessings of God, but you're, it's, you're experiencing the attack of Satan. It's really hard to be humble then, isn't it? it you know, but what, what is captured in the psalm, and we're not sure who wrote this psalm, 
You see, most people think, well, a lot of people think, well, David wrote all the Psalms, but he didn't. Different people wrote Psalms. Uh, David wrote the bulk of them, but some of them were written by the worship leader, Asaph. He was the lead worship leader. He wrote a lot of the Psalms. And other people wrote Psalms. So we're not sure who wrote the Psalm, but we know it's a Psalm they used to go up to Jerusalem. And, and what it reveals, and this is really interesting, I never really realized this till recently, that this mercy mindset, this cry for mercy, was a mentality. The, the, the Hebrews had a lot of faults and foibles. The Hebrews were always messing up, and they were always going against God, and they were always rebelling, they were always disobeying, and they were always getting themselves into a mess. But one thing they had, one thing they always, one thing they always did is they never acted like it was God's fault. If you see that throughout Israel, I'm going to read you, I'm going to read you a piece of an article written by a Jewish rabbi in a few minutes that illustrates this even more, that there's a Jewish mindset. In fact, it's one of the reasons that Jewish people overall are so successful. It's one of the reasons they're so successful is because they never, uh, as a general rule, they don't adopt a victim mindset. No matter how much contempt they're treated with, no matter how bad they're treated, they don't adopt a victim mindset. And, and I'm going to show you how this works in a little bit. Uh, but how that, this, how that this mercy mindset is a mindset that you don't get underneath the contempt. That your relationship with God doesn't change. Uh, uh, you know, most of us don't have a mercy mindset. It's not natural. It's not normal to have a mercy mindset. We've got, it, it's kind of like, it's, it's kind of like, it works kind of like this in most families, right? In most marriages anyways, is, um, you, you, let's, you, let's pick on, pick on the wife here a little bit. You, you want your husband to fix the leaky faucet. You want him to fix the faucet that just keeps leaking and you know he could do it in a few minutes and and he doesn't do it, 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 and he puts it off, and one day you blow up at him, and he runs down to Home Depot, and he gets the washers and whatever, and he fixes it. And you don't say, thank you so much. You are awesome. You don't say, that is fantastic that you did that. You say, it's about time. <laughs> you don't go, oh, that was so gracious of you. Oh, you showed mercy to me. That drippy faucet was leaking for weeks and it was driving me crazy. And finally you showed mercy and you, you stopped the leaky faucet. Now I can have peace. But that's what Israel would do. Israel, they were being treated really badly. Because see, see here, we, we, most of us think of mercy as something to the undeserving. The undeserving cry out for mercy. You know? Uh, the, the, when, you, when you need uh, forgiveness, then you cry out for mercy. But the pilgrims who made their way up the hill pondering the injustices committed against them meditated on their need for mercy instead of their right to judgment. That is, that, that's really mind-boggling. Uh, and, and this is why the, 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 Christian, the, the psychology of Christianity is so awesome. 
The psychology of Christianity is so paradoxical to what you would normally do and how you would normally think, but it sets you up for success better than any other type of psychology. The psychology of the Bible and the psychology of Christianity sets you up to succeed and to go forward and to have a better life and to have greater inner peace, in, but, but it's totally counterintuitive. That's why you have to read the Bible. You have to read the Bible, and you have to go to church, and you need to get around Christians, and you need to read good books that about written by, written by great Christians, because the psychology of Christianity will set you up for the very best life you could possibly have. But you won't get it on your own. You won't figure it out on your own. You will do the opposite of what would really work. Most of us think of mercy as for the undeserving, like I said. And most of us have a merit mindset, a performance mindset. We go, God, we're not being treated right, and we've been good. God, it's time for you to go to work and take care of us and, and take care of the people that are making life difficult because we don't deserve this. We call, I call that a merit mindset. Did I, did I give you the definition of a mercy mindset? I don't think I did. Let me go back. A mercy mindset says, no matter what's going on in my life, answer to prayer is a favor and not a right. That's a mercy mindset. A merit mindset is the opposite of a mercy mindset. The opposite of a mercy, of mer, of, of a mercy mindset, which that word should be there, is being preoccupied with self-worth and self-pity. Now let's talk about this. What's behind a mercy mindset? A mercy mindset is not a mercy moment. We all have a mercy moment. You know, when we have messed up, when we have really messed up and the chickens are coming to roost, and we go, God, have mercy on me. God, don't give me what I deserve. God, please, Please don't give me what I deserve. When you get a diagnosis from the doctor and it has something to do with your lifestyle and you know, you know your lifestyle created that, that reason that they're sending you for those tests. And all week long when you're waiting on the results to come back, you're going, oh God, just have mercy. God, I didn't mean to do it. I didn't mean to have that behavior in my life. I, if I had to do over God, you know I wouldn't do it. You know I wouldn't abuse my body like that if I just had that to do over again. So God, I just cry out today. Just I, God, I don't deserve it. And God, I, I don't deserve anything. In fact, I deserve hell and damnation. You know that. And that's what I really deserve. And that's what you really ought to do to me, God. And, and God, if you, will, if you will just let that report come back good, I'll never ask you for anything ever again. I'll never bother you again. If you will just let the, let the test come back negative, okay? Just let the test come back negative, and I will never bother you for anything. And I'll be in church every Sunday, and I will pay tithe, and I will, and I will, and I will volunteer for the nursery and, and children's church and daily vacation Bible school in the summertime. And if they need someone to clean the bathrooms, I will clean the bathrooms. And God just whatever they need down at their church, and I'll, and I'll even go full clothes at, 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 at the Blessing Barn with Sherry. God, whatever you want, just let the test come back negative. God, have mercy on me. That's called a mercy moment. <laughs> it, it also happens 
when your back's against the wall and you've exhausted all other possibilities. Your, that IRS bill is now $60,000, dollars $80,000. There's no way you're going to ever pay it off. And if they come after you, you're going to lose your house, you're going to lose your car. You don't know what you're going to do. And you say, oh, God, have mercy. Please come through. Well, that, I'm grateful for mercy moments, by the way. Mercy, mom, mercy moments are for our mess-ups. Thank God for that. They're also, that, that's what they're for. And thank God for them. And I'm like you. I cry out for mercy in those moments, too. But that's not a mercy mindset. <laughs> a mercy mindset, you know what the word mercy literally means? Mercy means to bend in kindness to an inferior. Mercy means to bend in kindness to an inferior. So when that Hebrew person going up the hill to, to uh, Jerusalem, to Mount Zion, what they, were, what they were saying was, God, we are your inferior. We are your inferior. So God, when we're asking for mercy, we're asking you to lean down and bless your inferior, and we are your inferiors. They're, they're almost saying like, God, that contempt that we were talking about, which means to, to shame and to disapprove, that disapproval, it means rejection. That rejection, contempt that was put upon us, we probably deserve that, God. We probably, that's probably what we should have gotten. That's probably what we were really in line for. That, that was probably really, if righteousness was done, if, 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 if judgment was done, if judgment were correct, Lord, that's, that would be our judgment, that somebody would hate us, that somebody would dislike us. That's what we really deserved. But God, we're going to Zion today. We're going to Zion. We're, we're marching up the hill to Jerusalem, God, today. And we're, we're, we're going to believe that we're an inferior to you, but you're a superior. But we believe that there's a door there's a door into the eternal. There's a door into the supernatural. And they didn't know the New Testament verse, but the New Testament says that, that, that there's a throne room called grace. And that there's a door open that we go to the throne room and we find grace to help. We don't find judgment. We, we don't even find justice. We find grace to help in time of need. So no matter who I am, or no matter how much I have done, or how many good things I've done, I haven't done enough to deserve, to want, not deserve, I haven't done enough to want justice in the presence of God. I haven't done enough to want judgment in the presence of God. I haven't done enough, no, 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 I want mercy. I want grace in the presence of God. I'm talking about a mercy mindset. A mercy mindset is preoccupied, preoccupied with the lofty position of God and amazement that He would honor me with His attention. Your worship, man, will change when you get a mercy mindset. You think you're loud now on Sunday morning. You think those hands are really up in the air now. You think you're singing loud now. You start getting a mercy mindset you will start enjoying God like you've never enjoyed Him before because you see His lofty position. The word mercy, to bend in kindness to inferior. See, the best people in the church often have the most difficulty developing a mercy mindset. <laughs> the best people in the church. 
the people that are working really hard, the people that are really good people. They're the ones that have, 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 I've been around church a long time, and I can spot the bitter old saints. I can spot the bitter old saints of God, who the pillar, they're the pillars of the assembly. <laughs> They've been paying the bills around here for 30 years. They're the ones who cleaned the church when nobody else would. They're the ones who kept the door open when the flakes were going in and out and doing whatever they wanted to do. They were the ones who kept sitting in the seats. And they're the ones who endured the bad sermons and the bad songs. They're the ones who, who endured the phobos of the pastor who didn't know what he was doing half the time. They're the ones who lived through the bad decisions. And they're the ones who, when the pastor made a bad decision, they gave out of their money to try to make up for the bad decision the pastor and the board made. They're the people that were there, and they will let you know it, and they are bitter. And God owes them something. I said God owes them something. And he better show up like he did 50 years ago. <laughs> and they've lost their joy. And they've lost their peace. And they've lost their awe of God. Because they have a merit mindset. They don't know it. But they're working their way to heaven. They don't know it but they're not living by grace. They don't know it, but they don't have salvation by grace. They've swapped it out for salvation by works, and they have become moralist because they deserve something from God because they are the pillars of the assembly. <clears throat> it, it's, but, you know, here, here's, and I, I appreciate those good people, by the way. I do appreciate the good people who stick around when the rest of you go take your vacations from church. But eternity, I'm, the distance between us and God is so vast. We don't get it. We don't get it. it, it, it it's kind of like if you and Michael Phelps, the, the swimmer, the Olympic swimmer, it's like if we took the two of you to Boston Harbor and we challenged you to swim the Atlantic, to swim to Great Britain, and you were stupid enough to try it, and you both jump in the water, well, you know, we're going to be able to see you drown without binoculars. <laughs> but Michael Phelps is an, an amazing, great swimmer. He might swim out of sight. We might think he made it. But he won't. Because it's so far across that vast ocean that the best swimmer in the world, multiple gold medalists, aren't going to make it. And that's how far, that's the vast difference between me and God. My holiness and the holiness of God. I don't care how much I do. How, many, how hard I work on my sermons, how, how much I try to get people to go to heaven, how many people I serve, how many hospitals I visit, how many funerals I preach, how many broken people I try to comfort, how many marriages I try to heal. I'm going to drown before I get to God if I don't have his mercy. If he doesn't rescue me, I am dead. That's what I believe Israel understood. Paul David Tripp said it this way, No matter how good you are, the goodness that gives you hope in life and death is the unceasing 
goodness of God. No matter how good you are, the goodness that gives you hope in life and death is the unceasing goodness of God. Now, I know some of you go, I don't feel this. Yeah, I don't, I don't feel this humility that you want us to feel because I think I'm pretty good. And I, I get sick of these losers that aren't so good and that I can't depend on and blah, 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 blah. I know. I, I, I'm, I'm that guy sometimes. I'm that guy. I'm, I'm Eli- you know Elijah when he's up on Mount Carmel. I'm the only one. No one else. Everyone else is bowed. And, and the Lord says, you know, i got 7,000 who haven't bowed their knee to bow. And shut up. But so, so I'm that guy, though. And, and, and I understand. You don't feel it. You don't feel all this humility that I want you to feel. I didn't ask you to feel it. Just do it. Just do it. Just start, just start, just start acting humble. You, you know the Bible, the Bible asks you, to, you know obedience has nothing to do with feelings. I, I read nowhere in scripture where I'm ordered, where a feeling is ordered. Nowhere. Nowhere does he order a feeling. Nowhere does God says, if you don't start feeling humble, I'm, I've had it with you. No, God says, just humble yourself. Just humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourself in the sight of other people. So don't worry that you don't feel it. You will in about two years. Do it every day for two years. No, it won't take that long. Six months, you'll be, six months, you'll, you'll be better. No, it will. And, and, and no, if you'll start doing it, the feelings will come. If I had a, if I had a kite up here, you would see a tail on the kite, right? The tail follows the kite wherever it goes. Your feelings will follow you wherever you go. Eventually. They will catch up with you eventually. If you'll start obeying God. Start doing what the Word says. Trust God enough to say, I trust it more than my own brain. I'm going to do what it says. So, you don't have to feel this, just do it. So, why, um, why is a mercy mindset a superior way to approach to life? Well, number one, because you will start seeing the glory of God. Oh, we don't have time to explore the glory of God, but it's what we all want. It's what we all need to see in this life is the glory of God, the magnificence of God, the superiority of God. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. An exalted self will obscure an exalted God. The second thing is, you will stop asking God for judgment. Do you really want judgment to be the basis of your relationship with God? Do you really want performance? Do you really think a preoccupation with your self-worth is the way to go? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So I know some of us are sitting here today and we're going, well, I haven't done this and I haven't done that. And, or or, or I, those all sins you could list, Pastor Phil, I, I'm not doing them. I'm not cheating on my spouse and I'm not cheating on my income tax and I'm not stealing money and I'm not 
messing around with my expense account. I'm not doing those things. I, you know, you, you would, but, but you know, you would all say to me, if I, if I pinned you to the wall, you would say, yeah, but I, I'm not bringing people to church. I, I understand that, Pastor. I'm not bringing people to church. I, I'm not giving to God's work as I should. I'm not helping the poor. I'm not, I, I'm not uh, going out of my way to spend time with people of another race. I'm not going out of my way to do that. Uh, we could come up with about 100 things, what we call the sins of omission. And, but you're all happy with yourself because you're not committing the sins of commission. Well, that's a good thing, that you, you've at least you've stopped doing some, some destructive things. That's good. That's good. Pat yourself on the back. You've stopped doing some very destructive things. But, but you probably, and this is probably all of us in this room, we really haven't gotten around to the things that we could do, that we ought to do, that would benefit people and save them from hell. So maybe we could work on that for the next couple of years. Okay, And maybe we would develop a little bit of humility and we would start crying out for mercy instead of justice or judgment. Right? How about that? James 2.13 says, Mercy triumphs over judgment. A mercy mindset will... You know what it'll do for you guys? It'll allow God to heal our wounds. We all have wounds. That's what this psalmist is about. These people are thinking about it. Everybody that's wounded them. And they say, oh God, have mercy. Because they want God to come and heal their wounds. And God will do that. When you, when you become humble before God, he's able, he's able to get to your wounds then. When you're awful of bitterness and resentment and vengeance, he can't get to your wounds. He can't get to your scars. He can't get to your pain. But when you start crying out for mercy, you let your guard down and you humble yourself, you know, then he, then he, can, then he can, you know, if you, go to, if you go to this doctor and you've just come from this doctor that didn't treat you well, you know, that you can take a few minutes to tell your new doctor, well, that other guy didn't know what he was doing, but I'm so happy to have you. You seem to know what you're doing. This is great. Well, you can do that a little bit, but if that's all you do, you're never going to get it. Finally, he's going to say, would you shut up and let me tell you what I want you to do and how I'm going to treat you? And that's what God is saying to you today. Some of you keep telling God how bad you've been treated, and you keep telling God about the people who've treated you with contempt and the, all the rejection, and it's real, man. It's real. God doesn't say it's not real. All the people that let you down, but if you'll stop talking about that and say, God, it's just me and you in this room right now. They're not around, me and you. How about you blessing me? And God says, I don't care what they did to you. I'm going to bless you. I don't care how much they let you down. I'm not going to let you down. I don't care how they wounded you. I'm going to heal you. I don't care how they didn't forgive you. I'm going to forgive you. I don't care how bitter they are and how, how, how immorally they treated you, how they abused you. I'm going to be kind to you because I'm your father. Amen. Amen. Thirdly, we will stop thinking like a victim. We will be grateful instead of resentful. You know, some of us carry resentment around. I mean, some of us good salt-of-the-earth people that are in this room, which I love you, by the way. I feel I, I try to be one of you. But we can carry around resentment like a low-grade fever. And feeling like a victim and being ungrateful leads to all sorts of moral depravity while gratefulness and feeling empowered 
to the highest expression of holiness that you can imagine. I want to read this little bit of an article on not being a victim by Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. And he's talking about all that Israel has gone through, including the Holocaust. And, and uh, he quotes in the book of Deuteronomy. It's a great article. You might want to look it up. I'm not be, if you type in Google search, I'm not being a victim by John, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. He was, he was formerly the rabbi of, the, of Great Britain. He said, how can you be a victim and yet not see yourself as a victim without being guilty of denial or deliberate forgetfulness or wishful thinking? The answer is that uniquely that this is what makes us homo sapiens. In any given situation, we can look back or we can look forward. I like that. We can ask, why did this happen? That involves looking back for some cause in the past. Or we can ask, what then shall I do? This involves looking forward, trying to work out some future destination, giving that this is our starting point. There is a massive difference between the two. I can't change the past, but I can change the future. Looking back, I see myself as an object acting on by forces largely beyond my control. Looking forward, I see myself as a subject, a choosing moral agent, deciding which path to take from where I, here to where I want to be eventually. Both are legitimate ways of thinking, but one leads to resentment, bitterness, rage, and desire for revenge. The other leads to challenge, courage, strength of will, and self-control. See, that's what was happening on the way up to Zion. When they were saying, God, have mercy on us, they were saying, God, show us how to go forward. Show us how there's, there ain't no future in the past. I don't know if you know that. Fourth reason that a mercy mindset is superior is because we will stop, we will start, I think the word stop is in that, and it should be start. We will start sowing and reaping mercy. Ah, you fixed it for me, thank you, you're so good, uh, Shane, and whoever else is back there. We will start sowing and reaping mercy. Now this is a huge benefit that you probably haven't thought about. Blessed are the merciful, Jesus said, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, you, I, you're not going to get all mercy in life. Don't think that. Don't think, well, I'm going to show, I'm going to start crying out for mercy and have a mercy mindset, and nobody will ever do another bad thing to me. And nobody will ever be unfair to me because all I will get is mercy. No, that's not, that's not the way it works. But you're going to get a lot more mercy than you're getting now. How many could just have do? How many if you had twenty five percent more mercy coming at you now? Would that be a, a good deal? Okay. No, no, that's not not enough. Okay, thirty percent. I mean, thirty, thirty five, forty. What do you? Think? Well, I just think. Well, I think whatever you need to be normally uh, reasonably happy, that's what you will get. Okay. I want to read to you a, a really short, another short piece of an article written by someone called, I was the mob till the mob came for me. I thought this was such a fascinating article written just a few days ago. I don't remember the guy's name, but you will relate to it. Because, you know, we are living, this is the call-out culture. You know that? If you hang out on social media like I do, especially Twitter, you know this is the call-out culture. Man, you, you have... You, you, the, the most righteous thing some people think, 
Some people think. I don't think it's the most righteous thing. But the most righteous thing some people think they can do is to call somebody out to, to, to raise up the, pri- the pride of their virtue over this other person's evil. And they have somehow made the world a better place. And here's a guy, here's one of these guys, and he tells a story. He said, I drive food delivery for an online app to make rent and support myself and my young family. This is my new life. I once had a well-paid job in what might be described as the social justice industry. Then I upset the wrong person. And within a short window of time, I was considered too toxic for my employer's taste. I was publicly shamed, mobbed, and cast out of my career and my professional community. Writing anything under my own byline now would invite a renewal of this mobbing, which is why my editors, with my editor's permission, I'm writing this under a pseudonym. Who knows who I am? Who, who, he knows who I am, he said. In my previous life, I was a self-righteous social justice crusader. How did I become that person? It happened. Now, this is very, very important. This is how we lose a mercy mindset in life. Partly how we lose it. Every time I would... It happened because it was exhilarating. Every time I would call someone racist or sexist, I would get a rush. That rush would then be reaffirmed and sustained by the stars, hearts, and thumbs up that constitute the nickels and dimes of social media validation. The people giving me those stars, hearts, and thumbs up were engaging in their own cynical game. A fear of being targeted by the mob induces us to signal publicly that we're part of it. When my call-outs were met with approval and admiration, I was lavish with praise. Thank you so much for speaking out. You're so brave. We need more men like you. Then one day, suddenly, I was accused of some of the very transgressions I'd called out in others. I was guilty, of course. There's no such thing as due process in this world. And once judgment has been rendered against you, the mob starts combing through your past, looking for similar transgressions that might have been missed at the time. Upon reading John Ronson's 2015 book, So You've Been Publicly Shamed, I recently went back into my own Twitter archives to study my own behavior. I was shocked to discover that I had actually participated quite enthusiastically in the public shaming of Justine Sacco, whose 2013 saga following a bad AIDS joke on Twitter forms one of the book's central case studies. My memory had told me different. In my mind, I didn't really participate. It was the others who took things too far. In reality, the evidence showed that I was among the most vicious of Sacco's mobbers. Ronson describes a central problem with Twitter shaming. There's a disconnect between the severity of the crime and the gleeful savagery of the punishment. For years, I was blind to my own gleeful savagery. There's... One of the dangers of not going through life with a mercy mindset is the mob that you join will someday come after you if you get out of line. And you're going to get out of line because you're a human being, right? And you need mercy. So, this call-out culture and what it brings, it's not just a few people. It's not just someone on the right or someone on the left. We all have this within us. We all have this in me, this, this thing within us that somehow finds joy and, and, and righteousness and a feeling of satisfaction when we're able to point out the sins of another. Now, a mercy mindset is not ignoring 
are excusing oppression. But it's our identification with sinners. Did you get that? A mercy, mercy mindset, it's not ignoring oppression. It's not never calling anything out, by the way. But it's identifying with sinners. It's saying, but for the grace of God, that could be me. I could do that. I could be the person who's, who's, who's abusing and hurting people. I could be that guy who did that. And even when we, maybe we wouldn't do exactly what they did, we act out of the same motives. Think of um, Harvey Weinstein, for instance. Harvey has really paid a huge price for his sins. And I suppose, uh, deservedly so. Terrible behavior. Nobody, I don't think anybody in their right mind thinks his behavior wasn't terrible. But what motivated Harvey Weinstein's behavior, if you read uh, recent articles, and you, you've, you find that Harvey Weinstein felt inferior. He felt ugly. He, he knew he was unattractive. The only ticket he had to get, being attractive was his power and his wealth. And when he got it, he, he, so he didn't love those women that he was abusing. He hated them. He despised them. Because he knew if he was not their ticket to stardom, they would not give him the time of day. He knew they would never come to his hotel room if, if he did not have power. And if he was not a major mogul in the movie industry, he knew. that. So he hated them. He despised them. And he treated them like someone who despised them. Well, you, you probably, maybe you wouldn't do what Harvey Weinstein did with his power. Maybe you wouldn't do that. But are you also acting out of your own past rejection? Do you do things to other people out of your past rejection, out of your past hurts, out of, out of being treated with contempt? Do you do things that are also unfair, in some sense oppressive and hurtful? I'll bet we do. I bet all of us do. So when you want to condemn Harvey Weinstein, yes, go ahead, condemn his behavior. It's horrible. Condemn that kind of behavior. Condemn that type of oppressive behavior that happens way too often in the workplace. And in which women are by and large the victims of that. Yes, I have no problem with speaking out about that. But if you develop a mindset, if you join the call-out culture, you are going to get yourself in a situation where you are no longer a recipient. Hear me, hear me, hear me today. If you get yourself caught up in that call-out culture, you're going to get yourself in a position that you are no longer a recipient of mercy. And you need it. I said, you're going to get yourself in a position where you're no longer a recipient of mercy. And you really, really need it. There's a lot of other things we could say about what it's not. But we don't, we don't have the time to do that. We'll do that later. Who was the perfect model of the mercy mindset. How about the greatest person who ever lived? How about the most incredible? How about the only man who never sinned? How, how about the only person who's worthy, who would be worthy to go into the throne room of God and demand what he deserved? How about the only one who had a right to all of heaven? How about the only one who had a right 
to equality with God Himself. And yet, He came to earth and He threw Himself on the Father's mercy. And He said, Father, if you don't save me from the cross, I won't be saved. He set aside the privilege of deity and took on the status of a slave. Philippians 2, 7. The greatest, the Son of God Himself. He set the rules that the kingdom of God would not be a meritocracy, but a mercy mindset. He did this by setting aside all the privileges that were rightfully His. And He willingly made Himself an inferior to God. Well, if He could do that, when he could have rightfully maintained his status, how could we do any less than that today? How could we, who sinned, who failed, fail God? I failed God within the last week in some way. I failed God probably already today in some way. So you know what? I have to join the worst of sinners. Maybe you're here today and you're one of those people. You feel you're the worst of sinners. You know you have sinned greatly. You know you have committed some egregious moral sin in your life. And you have failed. God, you failed your family. And you're sitting here today and you know it. And you're having a mercy moment here today. Well, you know what? You know what God has for me? I need to come and join you. And I need to come and sit beside you. And I need to cry out for mercy just as much as you. I need to ask for grace just as much as you. Because you know what the Bible says? The Bible says all my righteousness is as filthy rags. All my righteousness is as filthy rags. And I'm way better off. I'm way better off when that's how I act and when that's how I feel and when that's my attitude. When that's my attitude, I'm way better off. And maybe I can come alongside of you who have sinned so greatly and you know you've sinned greatly and you having your mercy moment. Maybe I can come alongside you and together, together we can go to Jerusalem. Amen? To get together, we can climb the hill. That's what a church is supposed to be. A church is supposed to be the people who've yeah, kind of got their act together, you know, paying the bills and doing the right thing, praying and going to church, right alongside the people who are blowing it, losing, making bad decisions, can't get your act together. We're going to go together. Somebody say praise the Lord. Hallelujah.